0: This is Linux at Work, Episode 3, for the 5th of June, 2020.
1: Welcome. I'm your host, Ben Vasharan, along with my co-host, Chester Wisniewski. Hi, Chester. Hi, Ben. It's uh, good to get back in the podcast again.
0: We're, we're not quite in a rhythm yet, but at least uh, we've shrunk the amount of time between podcasts from several years down to several weeks. So I think we're improving and this shows there could be some positive outcomes that, uh, that come out of COVID.
1: Yeah, it's good to say too that uh, we are working on things in the background when it comes to a couple uh, features as well. So uh, after finishing Teams, we're now looking at video conferencing and several other tools. So hopefully we'll get onto a regular cadence. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's tons of stuff to look, out the, look at out there. And uh, later on in the podcast, we're going to talk about Google Summer of Code. And one of the things that uh, while I was doing the research on what projects were ongoing in that, I was like, oh, wow, like this is almost a laundry list of things we could do deep dive podcasts on that would be really fun to share with people the latest features and updates from a lot of these projects.
1: There's uh, certainly not a shortage of open source,
0: <laughs> source projects, so I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll have a long list. Well, I'm going to start with one that just seems to be a trend right now. And then we can speculate a little bit as to maybe why it's such a trend. But I've been using, I've been a GNOME desktop user forever. And I'm going to ask you about KDE in a few minutes, (laughs) because I know you've been using Plasma lately. But uh, I'm just a GNOME guy and I moved to, Uh, plasma for a little while and then i was frustrated with it certain things were missing certain things were there that didn't work the way they were promised to work and i went ask you know i don't have the time for this because i do use linux for work so i'm going back to gnome i'm comfortable with it i know my shortcuts i know how to do stuff i'm just not going to mess with this anymore and then i got a new ultra wide monitor now, I've had an ultra wide monitor for a while, but I uh, I often uh, work on the road. And so in a pre-COVID world, I didn't have time to mess with tiling window managers because I was always on an airplane working from a tiny screen and tiling just didn't enter into it. But now that I'm working full time from home on my widescreen monitor and then I upgraded to a beautiful 5K, 2K monitor recently, uh, I went, oh, I got to get this tiling down. I started playing with some of the tiling add-ons uh, for GNOME because I didn't want to get away from GNOME and go full like hardcore you know, i3 or anything. So I played with Paper WM and I have to say I'm impressed. Now, I know you've got a multi-monitor setup. Uh, Do you you also tile? I'm
1: not currently tiling, no. So I've got a 2 by 2 setup, so four screens in total. And I'm not currently tiling, though I see the reasons behind it. I am considering getting an ultra wide monitor to replace my two older top monitors Uh, but at this point I I don't really see the need because I just snap to corners Uh, but I I can understand the usage. I I was really excited to look at PopShell because that was getting a lot of interest and at the time of last recording I was using PopOS but I've since switched to Manjaro and I've gone back to uh, KDE Plasma, which I'm actually way more comfortable with than Gnome. I find it much more cu- uh, customizable uh, and easy to use in general, especially for multi-monitors. So I, I won't get a chance to play with Paper WM in, in the near future. Uh, in saying that, I have been playing with Fedora 32, which ships with Gnome and Wayland, And um, it looks like Paper WM has actually got some really cool uh, Wayland features in the way of mouse gestures and uh, multi-touch. So I might try and play with it over the weekend.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting because the whole reason I started down this path was because you mentioned the Pop! OS uh, 2004 GNOME extension. So I'm an Arch user. I tried it in Arch and it was a little glitchy, um, probably, of course, because it's it's not actually Ubuntu 2004 and there might be some compatibility issues there. But I, I mostly just found it to have a steep learning curve because I'm not traditionally a tiling user. And once I experience what it could do, but couldn't get it to do what I wanted it to do. I went, right, I'm not going to give up on this idea of tiling, but I'm not sure this is the solution for me. So started looking for other ones. And that's when I came across PaperWM, uh, paper WM and it seems to be uh, still actively maintained, although there's not like frequently re- uh, frequent releases to it by any means, but I found it like super easy to pick up for somebody who's wanting to transition from a traditional WM to a tiling or a hybrid, if you will, because uh, all your traditional Noom stuff mostly still works. And that's one of the big negatives of the pop os uh, extension for gnome is it remaps your keyboard shortcuts harshly let's say and uh, if you're a normal gnome user it's a bit jarring to lose some of your traditional stuff before you've learned the new way and paper wm strikes that balance really nicely if you're looking to try out a tiling manager if you have a ultra wide screen uh, in my day work i you know find that I'm using multiple desktops. I have like one desktop for messaging and another desktop for web and another desktop for research. And often it's just multiple Firefox windows all spread across different desktops, but with different tabs open for different tasks that I'm doing, that kind of thing. And found it really convenient to be able to uh, sort out Things quickly with a keyboard shortcut to be able to get three or four wide, app, you know, applications all concurrently on the screen and be able to quickly jump between them and tasks. Even when I was doing a in fact doing some teleconferences for work where I had full screen Zoom and Teams meetings running in a desktop and being able to mid conference call, be able to just jump to another desktop that had all my information open across four panes. Quickly look something up while I'm still talking to my audience uh, on the conference call and switch back with nobody the wiser, other than hearing my clackety clack on my keyboard.
1: So, in in your opinion, I'm curious, uh, do you think this trend of multi uh, super wide monitors and tiling is the answer to no longer having multiple screens?
0: Yeah, I think to a degree. Yeah. So, I mean, I find my productivity really good this way because I can, you know change tasks quickly, have lots of information at my fingertips, but also not a just gigantic wide ass window. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) And that makes sense. I I just see from my perspective, I like to snap to an edge, but I I pretty much segment my screens and have them doing different things. So my fear about going to an ultra wide is not being able to have that same workflow. And maybe it's just my need for, you know, (laughs) time to adapt some change. But yeah, you're right. Tiling could be the answer to that
0: yeah I think that's really what it is because like to me, the ultra wide screen ratios are pretty much three screens side by side. Technically, depending on the resolution, they're more like two and a half or something. but personally, I feel like i I get three completely usable applications side by side by side. And then if I really want to, I can take one of those third panes, split it in half top to bottom, and have uh, you know a shell window and an IRC chat scrolling by or I guess if 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 you're under forty, maybe use Slack or something. <laughs>
1: Yeah. No, there's still uh, there's still some of us uh, younger folk that use IRC. Don't worry about that.
0: So uh, yeah, I, I recommend giving it a try if you have the time. And I mean, there's there's quite a few other ones. Another uh, one, one I was looking thinking about looking into is Regolith. So there, there's a few of them out there. I'll put a link in the show notes to a review of Paper WM from the uh, It's Foss blog, and I find it to be a really good summary for getting started with it. I mean, the readme's not bad on GitHub, but uh, I think this post is a little more detailed. And uh, folks should give it a try, especially if you have an ultra wide. I, I don't know that I, I'd bother with it. I, I I do the snap to sides and corners like you're talking about on a traditional desktop and i'm really comfortable with doing it that way and the transition to moving to this was super easy i just don't think i would have bothered without the ultra wide on a regular screen i'd just stick with the normal snaps all right cool good to know uh, moving along uh just wanted to kind of call out that there's a kind of call for participation uh from academy the kde conference at which point i'm going to kind of hand this to you for a second to you, you know, gush about your, your KDE that you're saying you're so much more comfortable in, but really encourage people, uh, even though we're virtually stuck away. I think the call for papers or call for participation is open until the 14th of June. And uh, it's a good way, especially for, uh, for, for people new to the community to, to get to meet people and give it a go.
1: Yeah, I think it's something that everyone should have a look at. I certainly will. I, I do want to say I'm not aligned to KDE, but I do prefer it over GNOME after about twelve months on GNOME again. A few topics that we're interested in um, is they really they're focusing on Wayland, so they they want to hear call for papers and topics around Wayland. Um, on top of that, they're looking for real world use cases. And uh, what I found fascinating was the release packaging and distribution of software by KDE. It really is a nice ecosystem, um, and they they want to hear from the community about what they're doing. So, um, yeah, if you like KDE, um, even if you don't, in fact, I think it's worth going along uh, to the virtual conference, um, whether it's for half a day, a day, or a couple hours.
0: And for people that are interested, you can go to academy, aka yk dot and there you'll find links to the 2020 conference. And... Yeah, I um, I mean, you mentioned packaging and that's one of the reasons I got rid of KDE is at least on Arch, you load KDE and you end up with like 230 packages just for KDE. Yeah,
1: so- see, uh,
0: Seems like they could use some advice on uh, packaging maybe.
1: Yes, yeah, but it's comfort. Everywhere you go, it's uh, it's very similar. Uh, whether, you know, you're moving between, I've started using KDE even on Kali Linux when I'm doing um, penetration testing. Uh, I use it on uh, Manjaro at the moment. I've used it on OpenSUSE and it's a very, very, very consistent experience and um, really reliable as well. So um, yeah, you're right. I do get a bit gushy over KDE.
0: Well, and I think it it irritates Linus. So maybe that's another reason to give it a go.
1: (laughs) I'm not going to comment there. (laughs)
0: <laughs> One of my favorite projects uh, had a big release this week, Next uh, NextCloud, which I guess is no longer called that. It's now called NextCloud Hub. NextCloud Hub 19 was released earlier this week. And uh, I'm really excited. Like for, for the first time, we have something that is approaching a full-on replacement for Google Suite, except you don't have to worry about Google discontinuing half the products every other month.
1: Yeah, it's just come with a huge amount of... Uh, features. I, I don't know where to start. Uh, before we got on the call, I mentioned that I'm a little bit excited about the group where, uh, features, so the mail and calendar. But then looking at the, the video conferencing side of things as well. So put uh, the office suite to the side. You would say the video conferencing capabilities it's now boasting as well. This is an all-in package where a business, especially a small business, could certainly thrive uh, and um, uh, benefit from, from looking at Nextcloud. Um, I myself, you know, I do freelance uh, penetration tests in and uh, I still use the office suite on occasions but um, this has kind of got me leaning on should I try and use Nextcloud for everything and see how it goes.
0: Well when I started my job uh, 17 years ago at my current company I had a poster at my desk that said email is not a file transfer protocol It's always been an agitation of email administrators that they need to find gigabytes and then terabytes of space because people email 100 megabyte Word documents around to 25 people carbon copied and these kinds of problems. And and to me, like all this integration is really an opportunity that I haven't even seen Google really take advantage of in the G Suite with ideas like, you know, accessing my email directly through something that also does my file sharing. So that instead of putting that 50 megabyte attachment in the email, it can just. Host it on Nextcloud as a shared file and send the link in uh, by default. Right, uh, those those that kind of integration you can do by having all these things tied together, and I think that's really clever and helps me win a battle I've been fighting as a, a former Sendmail administrator going back to the 1980s uh, of not getting you know getting people to stop emailing files around and having them in quintuplicate. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, the the other thing uh, that's worth noting about Nextcloud, and I know that you've been administering it for a while, but if you are uh, hesitant to even explore that path. I noticed that they've published it via snaps. Um, so it's simple, you know, pseudo snap install, or they've got the Docker image, which I'm personally a fan of. Uh, you and I are probably going to have an argue- argument about that live on air at some point. But the general installation of Nextcloud and getting started the, uh, seems simple. The barrier to entry is simple, uh, which it's encouraging to see that, you know, FOSS is, uh, you know, there's these amazing uh, open source products now uh, like Nextcloud that don't take you weeks of your life to get up and running. If you want to trial this and do a proof of concept, there's no commitment. You pull a GitHub Uh, Sorry, you pull a Docker Hub image and uh, you can start playing and assessing and making sure it's the right thing for your, your organization or even yourself personally.
0: Well, I think they'll even do trials through their partners in the cloud where you don't even have to set it up. You can just get a free trial where somebody else sets it up for you and you just log in
1: and play with it. It's not a bad way to go.
0: No, and I mean that's is one of the real benefits of the Germans being sticklers for privacy and things like GDPR. Is it's spawned a whole lot of open source projects to replicate proprietary solutions that people are uncomfortable with for privacy reasons. And you mentioned the the Nextcloud, is it called Nextcloud Talk, uh, which is sort of their their open source Zoom that's built into it. I'm excited to play with that. I mean, I'm a happy Zoom user for corporate use, but I'd love to have access to a tool like that where I don't feel like I'm forcing people to use a tool they're uncomfortable with.
1: Yeah, and it has. Been some of the feedback Uh, being a Zoom user as well. uh, Some people have been certainly cautious about getting onto a Zoom call uh, since uh, the negative press around it kicked off. So, this could be a good alternative.
0: So, also this week, uh, Google officially started the Google Summer of Code. The coding actually began on the 1st of June. So that's a yearly thing now. But it's really grown and grown over the years. I was really impressed. This is the 16th year that they've had the Google Summer of Code. And this year, there's uh, 1,199 students from 66 countries participating. And there's 199 different open source projects or organizations participating as well. So it's really just mushroomed. And I I, I mean, the, the list of companies is quite impressive. I'm just going to mention a couple of them. But I mean, everything from, you know, open source hardware projects like BeagleBoard and Arduino, uh, or even kind of hybrid things like GNU Radio for software defined radio uh, to LibreOffice and Kodi and MariaDB and Python and VLC and FFmpeg. I mean, it's a really long list, of course, on nearly every uh, uh, Linux and even open source operating systems. I believe NetBSD is participating this year. So I'm uh, oh, sorry, not NetBSD, FreeBSD. Well, maybe NetBSD is. I won't speak for them, but I know FreeBSD is. And, you know, the opportunity for young people getting started, even if you're not a student, this is a great way to get to know the community and meet mentors, right? You you were sharing a story with me about uh, PyCon uh, for a friend of yours, and we're a little disappointed because you weren't able to do it this year. But, uh, you know, I thought it was an interesting story about how you could try to get people involved through open source into making a, a bit of a network.
1: Yeah, I would certainly encourage everyone to have a look at it. The PyCon thing is is disappointing. Uh, I'm a Python fan Through and through But uh, yeah As you said uh, My cousin in fact Is trying to finish An internship at the moment And um, it's been difficult Especially with the Current climate To get his final Work placement To hopefully End up with a, His bachelor uh, degree So we had agreed To fly from Melbourne To Adelaide To uh, to go to PyCon And of course that's um, That's been scrapped Now it's all virtual And it's a shame Because you know These face-to-face Networking events Is the true benefit Of, of going And uh, you know Paying the cost to go to an event it's not just about the talks it's um it's about being in the hallway and um, meeting people so uh, you know aside from that the google summer of code seems to promote collaboration and hopefully can get people in touch uh, with one another to to progress their careers even you know during these lockdown times
0: yeah the isolation does make this stuff hard but i think even being introduced to someone who's already experienced and well connected in the industry even virtually to where you make a bond with that person kind of is a gateway to their entire contact list, right? I, and while most of the people I've mentored in my career have been people I've met in person for a coffee or met at an event, those same people I'm still in contact with now, and they're reaching out to be going, I'm looking for work doing this. Do you know a company? Can you introduce me to someone? You know, those connections last uh, uh, beyond just the hallway con. And I, I miss hallway con, but uh, I still think it's worth, uh, especially those getting started to try to reach out to these events, uh, try to get a foot in the door and even making one solid friend that friend will uh extend their entire network to you so i think it's a good idea
1: yeah and even if it's uh you can get the odd pull request in there and at least you can say well you know maybe no one's going to remember me but look on the github and uh you can see that uh, my commit was accepted or my pull request was accepted and uh i have contributed at least you've got something out there as well yeah now's the time to to look at alternate options
0: yeah, I'm not I'm not much of a coder, but uh, I just inherited a AUR project in the, in the Arch Linux AUR. So, you know, there you go. You never know what you might learn if you're pushed into doing it because you want something bad enough. Lastly, I wanted to mention the Windows 2004, which is not normally a topic I bring up on a Linux podcast. <laughs> but the most recent version of Windows was finally released, which somehow is called 2004, the May update. They're not good at counting down there in Washington.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, but... It has Windows subsystem for Linux too. And I thought it was interesting uh, for a couple of reasons. One, the first version of WSL for Windows um, was kind of like Wine, right? Like there was no actual Linux kernel. You you know, they kind of piped through API calls and translated them very similar to Wine. It it was definitely a Windows is not an emulator, which strangely also spells Wine (laughs) uh, in that case. But now they've moved on to... An actual virtual machine, if you will, it looks like they're they've got some sort of streamlined Hyper-V powering this. There's a real Linux kernel that gets loaded. Microsoft's promising two second load times for that uh, Linux kernel, uh, native access to EXT file systems for extra speed, so things aren't going through a translation layer to access FAT or NTFS or whatever the Windows system is using. And it looks promising and interesting. I you know I think Microsoft's trying to. Convince people they don't need a Linux desktop anymore to develop on for all their cloud apps, they should just use Windows. But I'm wondering if it's going to backfire and be the opposite, which is developers on Windows using this, getting more and more comfortable with Bash and and using Linux as a more and more for featured part of it and going, well, I don't need the Windows part. Why am I running this?
1: I totally think that's going to happen. Uh, I don't want to say the gateway drug, uh, but I, I don't know how else to put it. Uh, you know, is WSL2 is. Like, that's how it begins. It's like, I I could picture myself as a junior sysadmin again, working for an enterprise, and suddenly I've got WSL, and I've got all these administration tools, like Bash itself uh, is so powerful, but even things like Python and uh, being able to, say, natively, just go and apt install nmap, all of a sudden you're going to say, oh, I've got all these features from WSL. Why don't I just install the real thing? So it wouldn't surprise me if this really drives adoption. But um, I, I got to ask: uh, Do you do you see this being a potential uh, security nightmare for some enterprise teams as well, knowing that there's there could be things going on uh, within the Windows subsystem that's unmonitored by enterprise tools um, and could potentially be abused as well?
0: Yeah, it could be. I mean, obviously, we're both security professionals, so it's always something we're concerned with. But on the other hand, if the alternative is that person having a Linux desktop, it's no different. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the, the 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 reality is those Linux desktops are largely unmonitored. They're not running antivirus. They often don't have things like OS query. You know, if you're in a full Linux environment for development, like at a Facebook or a Google, you're going to have security tools on those Linux desktops. But most organizations, the Linux people have already gone rogue, just like the Mac people. Yeah. So you almost might have more control in that when things go crazy in the WSL side of the machine, you have half a chance the Windows side might detect it.
1: <laughs> I uh, I do have to say, like, just seeing how it's matured, um, it, it gives me hope. Like, if I was suddenly in the position where I had to run Windows every day, I actually don't know if I could uh, be as productive as what I always, as what I have been for the past few years. So... Seeing the maturity of WSL two, at least it's like, well, if I ever have to go back to older ways or the ways that uh, I'm being mandated uh, by corporate head office, uh, at least I can still do some of the things that I, you know, I've started to just take for granted.
0: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm waiting for the first tiling window manager for Windows ten. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, I know it's a little bit of a side topic, but uh, Windows has also just announced a command line package manager that's, um, yeah, eerily familiar to many Linux distributions.
0: I did see that. It's almost like a little Mac brew going on in the Windows world.
1: Yeah, it uh, it surprisingly looks good too. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll I see. I gotta
0: give them credit. I mean, like uh, the the. the... The the fact that Linux and Windows in the end are meeting in the middle somewhere uh, is interesting because we're not meeting in the middle. They're just coming closer and closer to what we've been doing for twenty years.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, and it, it's it is receiving a little bit of hate. I don't know if you've well, you've probably read the Twitter feeds. I don't know if you're a big Reddit user, but um, some people are still talking. You know that embrace, extend, extinguish, and I don't know if I subscribe to that. Um, uh, I can just see where a world where both can exist uh, quite happily together. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having even your infrastructure powered by, say, Linux, and um, the desktops still using uh, majority Windows. It's um, it's realistic. We'll just see <laughs> what happens there.
0: Well, life's too short for another religious war use what you like, learn about everything, make a choice, go with what you like, go with your heart. And that's that, right? Like, it's just, I, I don't have time. Like we. Uh, you're an iPhone user, I'm an Android user. Do we turn that into a half an hour debate about, you know,
1: is this is this Tim Cook versus... Uh... Yeah, I, I completely understand. So with that, um, yeah, this has been Linux at Work, uh, episode number three. To
0: contact us, uh, stay in touch, please visit us at linuxatwork.org. Uh, our podcasts are available there. They're on iTunes, RSS, Google Podcasts, uh, pretty much anywhere you find your podcast being syndicated. We really appreciate your feedback and ideas, especially since we're getting this back off the ground. So please share them with us if you will. You can email us at hosts at linuxatwork.org, on Twitter at linuxatwork, and in our subreddit slash r slash linuxatwork. <laughs> got everything, gonna be everyone, gotta be everyone. Don't say you got anything, gotta be everything, gonna be everything. But I don't know what I need, but I don't know